Hello and welcome to episode 9 of The First Time. How did we get here? Hey man, it's been an absolute trip. Uh, what was a little idea to get to chat to some of our friends in the industry has nearly become a full 10 episodes. It's been so fun to do, super enlightening and way more work than I first thought. So for that reason, we've come up with a little plan. We are going to get to episode 10, which is going to be a very special episode, and then take a little break. Get some more episodes under our belt and come back with a kind of series 2, I guess. Um, New and improved. If you've been with us right from the start, thank you so, so much. We truly appreciate it and we want to make sure we keep getting better. So if you have any suggestions of things that you might like to hear in Series 2, please don't hesitate to drop us a line on our socials. Um, It's always good to hear your feedback and like I said, we really want to try and get better with every episode. So that's the plan now for today's episode. Today's episode, we have the wonderful Katie Peach, or should I say Dr. Katie Peach, or should I just say Dr. Peach, because that is a real strong name. Katie has had an amazing journey in the beer world, starting with a substantial pay cut. She reached the absolute heights of academia and then took a total pivot to follow the love of brewing. She is the epitome of what I spoke about in that first introduction I did, uh, what feels like ages ago now, where I said, and I quote, it's not uncommon to hear of people taking complete pivots in their professional journeys to pursue a dream or an idea that may well leave them financially worse off, all sparked by that first moment. She is currently the quality manager slash brewer at White Frontier, a beautiful brewery perched uh, right between the Swiss Alps. But her journey has taken her all over the world, including to our neighbours up the road, Cloudwater. And that is where our paths crossed. There is some amazing geeking out in this one. You can take Katie from the lab, but not the lab from Katie. Get ready for some awesome science. Uh, It was so fun to talk to Katie, as it always is. Usually we would be bumping into each other at uh, beer festivals right now, but obviously with the current situation, that is off the cards. So, let's get to it. Episode 9. We start with that all-important question. What was that first beer for her? So this would have been back in Minnesota. Um, It was a fat tire. (gasps) Classic. And it was, this was, this was like 2000 four maybe 2005 and um colorado breweries in colorado used to not send their beer outside of colorado with distribution laws and stuff Mm -hmm. so i I probably still have it actually they made all these um coasters talking about how prohibition was over when their like beers from new belgium and odell started showing up in other states like in the midwest and i was actually out on a date went to a bar and before that I was drinking like Bud Light, Miller Light, like whatever was cheap. Crisp by the light lagers. Yeah, I wouldn't have called them that back then, but, um, <laughs> you know, stuff you could buy by the pitcher. So like a pint would be four bucks or whatever. Yeah. And so they were advertising at the bar, fat tire. And I was like, Oh, this is something different. It was like, it was like, I'm going to say eight or $16. Like it was substantially more expensive. So you were feeling flush because this is your date night. So this is you feeling flush. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I was like, ooh, like, like maybe we should give this a shot. And so I ordered it, and it was one of those like you know five hundred ml bottles, whatever that equates to in the states. And um, the guy hated it. He's like, "What is this garbage?" And I was like, "Oh, this is really interesting, actually." <laughs> so that was uh, that was the first beer that like turned me off of American macro um, industrial. Wow. So are you a are you a Colorado native then? Is that, is that your home? No, I'm, no, so I grew up in Minnesota. Yeah. Um, and actually, my, my mom and my sister and her family um, live in Colorado now. Um, but when we were growing up, uh, we spent a lot of time out there yeah. with family and camping trips in the summer and stuff. So when I go home now, it's either to Minnesota or 
Colorado. So both states have amazing um, breweries and beer selections. So I can't really complain when I go home. I'm no, I'm going to try and not just start asking you about your brother-in-law uh, because oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for those that don't know, Katie's brother-in-law is legendary climber Tommy Caldwell. Uh, which I over a beer randomly, and really, I just I've just invited you onto the podcast just so I can ask you loads of questions and maybe oh, okay, get his sure. number yeah. and you'd be able to talk to you him. You want me to like add him into the call? Yeah, <laughs> uh, but that's so cool because obviously Colorado, when when you had that first beer, there must have been a lot to explore out there. Well, no, this is when I was still in Minnesota. Ah, okay. So, um, yeah, then after that, then Fat Tire led me to 1554, which is their black ale, or their black lager, and then so on and so forth, Odell stuff. Um, I got into Surly pretty hard. Furious is still one of my favorite IPAs. Um, Summit in the U.S. So, I yeah, I quickly went down like a hoppy IPA, as bitter as possible, road, just to like, I like the flavor, but it was probably also like because it was different. Yeah. Because I like uh, before that, then I was drinking Budweiser because that's what my boyfriend drank. You know, like oh, I'll just I'll just have that. Like I didn't like think to explore anything else. And did it lead you into different places to drink as well? Because like, were you starting to find like beer bars, or was it just? Well, this was like this was fifteen years ago, man. Oh, like, shit, yeah. I've been out I've been out of the states for a decade. Whoa. So yeah. like like um, brew pubs and and like beer specific bars didn't exist in Minneapolis then, <sighs> or if they did, I didn't know how to look for them. So, yeah, I guess Fat Tire then also led me to, like, Newcastle Brown Ale and, like, just whatever. Like, like looking at, like, that was, you know, when we went out to drink, you were drinking well drinks. So, like, vodka, like, vodka tonic or whatever, or whatever shitty lager was two bucks a glass. And if you were going to buy, like, a craft beer, you know, it was, it was two, three times the price. and when you're early 20s like that's not the it feels goal. a lot of money yeah, yeah. When, you, when you're drinking pictures of bud light and then you go go for something right. that's double the price it is and I, I guess that's a pretty similar feeling to what it was in the uk it was much more a taste-based thing because you were like you're going to get less of it but you're going to be able to explore yeah. something that you're not in those other beers and that was kind of the most enticing thing i always found um yeah, but your money didn't go as far, but it was much more exciting. And then it also yeah. led you into like more interesting conversations, I guess, with the bar staff and and just the whole journey. So, so what were your kind of next steps after after that? Well, after that, then yeah, then I I started grad school, and so that when we went out for drinks, it was yeah happy hour. You get a picture or whatever and share it. Um, a lot of stuff from Minnesota, like Sterling and Summit, and and then I moved to Europe, and then. Uh, that's when I started homebrewing because I couldn't find IPAs and I couldn't find the bitter stuff that I wanted to drink. So oh, that's, that's, so that's cool. how my brewing, like if, if I wouldn't have moved to Switzerland, I probably never would have gotten into homebrewing because you have such a selection in the U S like there's absolutely no need yeah. to go to the, for the hassle of, of brewing one keg of beer. You know, so you, you went down the full moonshine route. You were just trying to supply yourself. Exactly. Yeah. So, how long were you a homebrewer for? This is so cool because I didn't know all these things. Oh, so I, I, um, I met you at actually, the at the end of this, not the end of your career, but more more recently. So it's cool to dive yeah. into this. Yeah. So homebrewing. This is actually a, a hobby I had with uh, my ex husband. He's a, um, an engineer, and I'm a chemist. And so, like, Perfect. I would do the recipes. He would clean all the equipment. <laughs> um and we actually to be honest like we maybe only did three or four brews and then I had an opportunity to like start working in a small brewery and get my hands dirty there and okay okay wait I I want to skip back because you kind of touched upon you studied chemistry but you Mm -hmm. did like a full PhD in chemistry you went like yeah. Right. So, yeah. I, so you can call me you can call me Frau Dr. Peach. Yeah, Dr. Peach. Sorry. <laughs> I should you like that. I, I'll yeah. make sure in the introduction that I do that. Yeah. Um, uh. <laughs> so I'm really interested in kind of what led you away from that because obviously we spoke a little bit before the interview of yeah. being 
working in the pharmaceutical industry in Switzerland, which is where you kind of ended up, to going to work yeah. for a small brewery. There's a certain financial step and career step that's a little bit, oh, for sure. <laughs> a bit of a change. So I'd really love sure. to kind of um, just get like your thought process in that. W- w- was was it that you were just so done with the education system and the corporate side that you wanted to just do something a little bit more creative, or was it just just the love of beer? Yeah, it was really just that? opportunities. Yeah, it was opportunities. So like I'm like the only reason I came to Switzerland is because I had the opportunity. My PhD advisor had the opportunity to move to the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology, which mm-hmm. is where like Einstein went. It's like one of the top 10, top 10 universities in the world. Just brushed that. There. Yeah, just he, didn't, he, didn't, he, didn't, he didn't graduate, but he went there. Oh, um, but you graduated, so you're one up. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so like I had the opportunity. I was in the lab. I, I could have stayed in Minnesota and joined another lab at the University of Minnesota to finish my studies there or... I could have gone with and I'd never been to Switzerland and I thought, okay, there's nothing holding me in Minnesota. This, why not? So one way ticket to Switzerland, never been here. Um, did the PhD was kind of hell bent on, on doing um, like an academia career research and then, you know, at the end of, uh, you know, two, three years masters and three years, two, three years PhD was kind of like, ah, eh, maybe not like, I'm sure there's something related to this. So I was thinking mm-hmm. like, scientific writing or something like that um and when i finished the phd uh, i had a hard time finding a job here because i'm american and i didn't have a residence permit at that time and so in switzerland they first have to look for swiss people then europeans and then third tier countries and that's where the u.s is so it was hard for me to find a job um also because i had a phd so i'm overeducated. i'm underexperienced related to the field yeah. and and I'm expensive. Yeah. So I, I had like 10 months where um, couldn't find anything. And eventually a postdoc position opened up at a pharmaceutical company in Basel. And basically PhDs are mostly qualified to do postdocs. Yeah. So postdoc, postdoc studies. And so I applied for that and I got it. Um, and so I had a year learning how to run clinical trials. So um, studies, so the first time drugs are used in humans for lots of rare diseases. It was super interesting. I loved yeah. it. Um, but so to back up a bit, those 10 months where I didn't have a job, um, I started hanging around this brewery that was near Zurich. And I actually found, I found an IPA that reminded me so much of uh, Surly Furious. And um, this is a small brewery run by two guys, a guy from New Zealand and an American. And I had received this like beer subscription from my lab as a graduation gift and looking up the brewery on the website. Okay. There's a guy from the U S like, how did he end up here? Does he speak German? So at that point, my German wasn't so great and, um, got in touch with him and we like met for a coffee and I was like, I'd love to come out and see the brewery. So went out, kind of hit it off there. They asked me if I wanted to work some shifts at the bar um, and eventually like I got back to the brew house and the brew house is a 10 heck. So 1000 liter old dairy equipment. So one vessel system for brewing. So they kind of like, like a, a, an upscale homebrew kit almost. Yeah, basically. So one vessel system, two fermenters, um, the Bugaflash and the flip top bottles that we washed by hand, filled by hand, bottle, <laughs> bottle conditioned everything. But, um, started actually brewed their first um, pumpkin ale with them to help develop the recipe for that. And then um, my, the first real recipe I did was for a black IPA. Whoa, so, I, I remember that, that style. Right? <laughs> so it actually had like a super like nerdy scientific background, um, which I can go into if you want. Um, but it had like, I actually ended up pulling some research papers to try and figure out how to get this xanthohumol compound it higher levels of that into the beer and it's like it's a compound that has like anti-inflammatory anti-cancer anti-whatever but you have to drink like cause, you know beer has good stuff in it just like wine has good stuff in it but you have to drink so much in order to get like the health benefits from it it's impossible unless we go on a, get, yeah, a big binge just just trying yeah. to no, get the just, health benefits here. yeah it's not possible but so the way to get that compound into the beer is lots of late hopping additions 
and dark malts. And so we decided to do a black IPA. So you and they've actually wait, still wait, 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 wait. You, so you decided to do a black IPA on a research of trying to extract a certain compound yes. from wow. That's the mops, a yeah. So he so the head, Yeah, so the head brewer had this, you know, he had heard of xanthohumol and um, wanted to somehow enhance enhance the chances of it just being in the beer and so I, I pulled up the research papers to figure out how to do it and um so that's how we that's how that started so you went and then the beer cure cancer with a black ipa that wasn't no 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 but that's like probably the nerdiest twist that i've had on a beer and then we that's named the beer nerdy. yeah no but then we named the beer um bombastus which is one of the many middle names of paracelsus who is the father of toxicology who is from Switzerland, and I did my PhD in the um, Institute of Toxicology at the ETH. So it had this hey, whole like. We are geeking out here. This is amazing. I know. I know. You should probably <laughs> put like a disclaimer on this episode. Heavy like, doses <laughs> of, uh, yeah, quite long, thought out processes. Um, yeah. Oh, that's amazing though, because that's this, that's part of it. That's why these interviews have been so fun because it's just getting a little bit of the person and their personality and what drove them and kind of brought them to be it and how they pushed it forward and combined those two things. And I don't know if you listen to, well, I know you listen to Dan and Martha and Martha who yeah. came through this. Yeah. Yeah. No, so I want to meet her now because I was like, Oh, she's a scientist too. Like, yeah. And gone through <laughs> all of this and then met Dan and just, just changed on a, on a, yeah. to, to a totally different career. So this is where you kind of, so was this kind of just almost interning or was this actually starting to become a paid role? Well, this was like, yeah, just kind of by the hour helping out at the bar. And then like, if they needed help washing bottles, I got paid for that. But like the brew work was more like, oh, can I be there? Like, can I watch this? Can I do something? And um, so in this process, like then I'm actually looking for real jobs um, so that I wasn't completely relying on my, my husband at the time. Mm-hmm. Um got the postdoc position, did that for a year, loved it. And, but towards the end of that, they had expanded the brewery. They moved to a slightly larger location, still had the same brew kit, added a few fermenters, a new bottling line, and they wanted to add a brewer to the team. And since they had worked with me before and knew that I was interested, they asked if I would be, if I would want to come on the team. And since I didn't really have any experience, they're like, well, this will be an internship, like, you know, a year for you to learn everything. And this was like right at the end of my postdoc. And so it's like, okay, do I keep this like potentially lucrative, um, science driven, um, job? Do I trade in my, my high heels and my dresses and makeup and, uh, and Go get dirty get in a brewery. Yeah. yeah. And, so like at that point I really channeled something that my grandma had my grandma Peach had always told me about um she's like life is totally backwards she's like when we're young and fit we should be running around and exploring and doing stuff and when we're old and we don't work then we should be sitting at desks and doing jobs and I was like fuck it like I'm how old was I then 30 um if I'm gonna run around on my feet for 10 hours and throw malt sacks over my shoulder and whatever like now is the time to try it like I had good relationships at Novartis no reason for me to not be able to go back there if it didn't work but I thought I'll give it a shot so they actually offered me a position to stay on and um, it was a, a postdoc with with two people for the whole year and they offered they had one position open at the end of it so they offered it to me I was like oh I'm really flattered uh, I would love to but I have another offer and they're kind of like what like we just spent a year training you like when would you go and i was like oh well, i'm i'm gonna go brew beer and i i kid you not i got laughed out of the building Whoa. by some of the, the the medical advisors and i was like well like maybe i'll be back like maybe it won't work out maybe i won't like it but i was like I'm, i'll try it and uh and off i went and I took a, yeah i took a 92 percent pay cut <laughs> i yeah, basically I'm worked just... a year for free um, just to learn everything, and like I would not have been able to do it without my, uh, without my husband like completely supporting me and being mm-hmm. like, "You want to do this? Like, you should try it." And so he like supported us for a year, and we invested in the brewery, and uh, yeah. So that was my 
my jump. So that is a huge jump. Like that, a 92% pay cut is the, yeah. the first ever introduction I did was basically saying that people follow a passion. Maybe they take a slight financial risk, but like 92% is quite a large uh, Yeah, yeah. No, there's, quite a there's large no cut. way I would not have, like, because what I was making, it wasn't even enough to pay, like, like here you have to pay for your own private um, health insurance. Health insurance. It was insurance. barely enough to cover that. Like, it was, it was 500 bucks a month. <sighs> So going more on the kind of brewing side, did you have your science head on pretty much straight away when it came to beer? Were you just like wanting to dive deep into that chemistry side? Or did you have like a slight more creative flair that was like starting to, I don't know, be explored more as you were trying more beers? I think it was definitely like, it's the same way I am in the kitchen too. Like I, I follow a recipe. And I keep a logbook, and I like, uh, you know, it's 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 from being a scientist in the lab. Like you have to you have to document everything and what did you yeah. do and what was the weather and like because if you're going to reproduce something, you have to know all the details. Um, so I definitely approached it from like a scientific aspect. So reading like the you know John Palmer's How to Brew the. Um, Oh, the other like homebrew Bibles that everybody has, like starting off with those things. And I'm like, okay, yeah, well, I know what enzymes do. Like I study that stuff. I know about salts and pHs. And so like just having that background definitely made it more interesting for me Yeah, and easier to understand as well. And like I used to work, I used to grow cancer cells. So like hygiene, I know what hygiene is and like, you know, don't spit in something or don't, you know. That needs to be clean and, and you need to be careful how you handle things. And so that I think has also been a benefit as well. Um, yeah, so definitely started with the science, the nerdy. Just and still like, no, what, it, what it says on the page, I am following to the absolute T. Exactly. Um, exactly. And did, the artistic flair really hasn't come in yet. So yeah, I'm, you, still, I'm still very... But you're in charge of like quality control and things like that at uh, White Frontier at the moment, so that I, I don't think they could have asked yep. for a better person. And I also <laughs> feel sorry for uh, every brewer in there who's just getting, I bet you tell them off so much when you're just like, that's not how it's supposed to be done. Um, well, no, but that's, I think that's the thing that's really cool about brewing. So I did, um, I did this massive road trip before I started at Cloudwater. Like two months, I visited 90 breweries Ooh. all over the U.S. Like, I was on the road, like, rental car, hotel every night for two months until I met up with Paul in San Francisco. And, you know, going to places like The Guard and um, I'm going to blank on all the names. But I was really trying to learn a lot about, like, barrel programs and souring. Mm-hmm. So, like, I went to um, Firestone Walker's um, barrel program. Barrel? Yeah, I mean, they've got, like, uh, Will, a friend, I think... Um a friend of mine, he had the look of going out there and he said that their lab was better than his university lab. Like it was... Yeah, no, like like they're doing cell counts into the, into the barrel, into every single barrel cell counts. And then you go to the garden, you talk to Trevor and he's like, we don't have a lab book. I don't have a brew sheet. And you know, you have people that go by their gut and like what feels right and you have people who do it by the book and everybody can make something delicious with it. Yeah. It's not the same with cooking and stuff like that, but it's. Um, I really like that you can have these two, two different extremes, worlds. and you can have any, and you can have anything in the middle as well, and yeah. it works. Like you That's can't really do that with pharmaceutical production. You yeah, can't you can do that with like a lot of things. So. <laughs> yeah, being a creative pharmaceutical uh, producer could end quite badly for for many. Um, but that's oh, that's amazing that you kind of just took took up this journey. And you kind of mentioned it there, I guess, the, the Cloudwater aspect, which is where I, I met you first. Um, so could you just take us through a little bit? So you've, you're in this little brewery in Switzerland. You've invested. Yeah. You've stepped into it as a, I want to say, full-time role, but like as this kind yeah. of internship, low-wage role. Were you, how, how long were you there for before you took your next step? Uh, it was like two or three years total. So I did the, I did the first year... Um, like internship, learning everything. And then at the end of that, so at that point we were three people in the company. Mm-hmm. So the head brewer, myself, and then um, one of the major shareholders who's still at the brewery now. And at the end of that first year, the head brewer um, resigned. 
And I was the only one who knew how to run this equipment and how to produce the beer. So I became a head brewer by default. Yeah. (laughs) And, um, so after like a year or so of that, like I ended up hiring an assistant she's still here in Switzerland. She just finished her brewmasters and, um, or, you know, did production for another year or so. And then I was like, I don't have anybody that I can learn anything from. Like I'm, I'm at the top of the totem pole right now in production. Um, there's gotta be a lot more that I can learn. Um, so I quit and I didn't have anything lined up. I was just kind of like, all right, I gotta, I gotta do something else. And this is purely because you just felt the limitations of your own knowledge at this time. And you were like, I need to, I need someone to, to show me more about this. Yeah. Industry. Yeah. That. And like, you know, I had, I ended up getting divorced and like, so there were a lot of things that had changed in my life, but it was mm-hmm. kind of like, this is not when I went into that brewery, I thought, okay, yeah, sure. This is going to be the rest of my life. Like we invested in the brewery. Like I can totally see myself working here. And then it's like, you know, your personal life changes and then you start to see, see things a little bit differently. And I was like, yeah, no, I need, I need to learn more. I need to do something. And so I quit and started reaching out to all these people I had met um, in the industry so far. And in that, that year, like that was the first year I went to Mick Keller beer festival and I, I actually went by myself and I'm I'm not a very extra like I'm pretty shy and I like that whole trip like I just went up to breweries and I introduced myself and um started talking process and made a lot of connections got a lot of business cards followed up with a lot of people interestingly enough my PhD advisor's husband who is also a professor has ties with Van from Gigantic Oh, and so I, I actually walked up to their stand and Ben was there at the time. And I was like, is Van here? And he's like, no, he'll be here in the next session. And I was like, okay. So, and then I went on this long story about how like my PH advisor's husband knows Van from when they were in Minnesota together. And um, yeah, so that was like, that was my first foray into like networking at beer festivals. And so reached out to all those contacts. Did you feel super nervous? Was it like... Walking oh, in there with your, with your little empty glass and and just being like, "Holy shit, I'm going to do this." Yeah. And and yeah. it's so this is so funny because tomorrow, uh, the next episode will be out, which is with our mutual friend Hannah. Um, oh, I love Hannah. Yeah, and it's She's amazing five. who you worked with at Cloudwater. Yeah, and her first experience at a beer festival was at MBCC, and she she yeah. was just saying about how she felt just like in this totally alien world, really, out of, mm-hmm. really in, intimidated because it, it, it's a very intense environment. Like, absolutely. And, and there's, there's a lot of, you know, people who want to tell you how much they know about beer and stuff on the mm-hmm. more, maybe on the consumer side, but it's so cool. Just the, the, the image of you just thinking like, right, I'm going to come out this with a job at the end of this. Well, no, I wasn't, I was, I was still at, at um, Beer Factory then. So I wasn't looking for a job, but it was just like, that was you my first social, yeah. yeah, like meet people and learn stuff. And so like a couple of contacts, um, I got to know the people at Edge in Barcelona very well. Mm-hmm. Um, so Tony Nodelbaum, who used to brew there, um, her and I were still in contact. Like most of the people, like I still am in touch with most of the people I met that first year. But those are the people that I contacted um, when I left, like saying like, hey, I'm looking for a job. Uh, you know how people in the industry usually hear about things before they go on some sort of public forum or whatever. So just started reaching out and um, happened to click with Paul at Cloudwater. So that's where you them. met. That's, yeah. I was going to try and get to that point. but So that is yeah. literally where you went. They were pouring that year then. No, this was, so this would have been my second McKellar, so it was the first time they were in that new venue, and it was the first year that Cloudwater was going, you know, they went in the, their cool jackets as a team, the so research, is, they weren't pouring. So this the first is, year I, that they... Yeah, this is Hannah's first ever beer festival. So no, 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 Hannah, Hannah wasn't there yet. This was oh. like, this was when Cloudwater debuted as a company, I'm pretty sure. Like, it was, it was Paul okay. and James, and those were the only two that I really talked with. But yeah. it was, you know, the hangover Sunday after the festival, bopping around to different bars and kept running into them and chatted, whatever, got some business cards, exchanged contacts. And then, um, yeah, so he was one of the people that I reached out to. It was like, hey, I'm, you know, looking for something. And in that meantime, like, I was dating a guy who's in the gastro 
um, drinks industry. And so we would go and visit breweries and we had actually went and visited. I reached out to Paul and was like, hey, we're going to be in England touring breweries to look for stuff to import in Switzerland. We would drop by. And Paul was super generous for this time, showed us around. And so like that had kind of, we'd kept contact through the time. And um, when I emailed him and said like, hey, I'm looking for a job. He's like, well, what do you want to do? And I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'd like to do a little more brewing on a different kit because um, the, the convoluted process, like, uh, very, very, very home brewery. Like, <laughs> sparging, sparging was, there were two hot water uh, heaters. Sparging was opening up, opening up the faucet all the way, standing there with your hand on the pipe, and when it cooled off so that you could hold your hand there, then it was done. That was sparge number one, and there was yeah. sparge number two after that, and everything got like collected in the into the fermenter, grain out, and then back into the kettle, bring it up to a boil. So like going from that process onto like a proper brew kit. So I wanted to brew. I was interested in doing lab stuff and barrel program. So we had like two conversations on the phone, and he's like, "All right, let's get your visa going." Amazing. I was like, "Okay, so I, I was like, so so I have a job." <laughs> And had you had much of their beers at that time? I guess you'd come over to England. Zero. Oh, Zero. Like some stuff at the tap room when they had the tap room at the old brewery, you know, yeah. when they used to set up the tables. Yeah. Um, but just a little bit. But for me, it wasn't, I guess I wasn't like contacting people because I was like, oh, I love your beer. Like I want to know how to make mm-hmm. it. I was just, I was just like reaching out to everybody. And, and seeing like, okay, maybe not necessarily to work for you, but maybe you know somebody who has an open position who would be interested in somebody like me who doesn't have a lot of experience, but whatever. And this is just, this is what worked out. And so, so that's, again, similar to Hannah, like Cloudwater, it's uh, infancy really, like in those really early mm-hmm. days where the, that wave was just starting to like come from like way out at sea towards the shore. Um, mm-hmm. so you, you took the jump, you, you upsticked from Switzerland and moved to Manchester. Um, yeah. was that an exciting prospect or were you super nervous again? And obviously moving in with a new team within uh, like, you know, they, they, those guys had a really beautiful brew kit right from, from the off. Mm-hmm. And I guess you're kind of still finding your way in what it is exactly you want to be in a brewery. Like, yeah. Like, did you know you wanted yeah. to brew beer or were you still maybe, you know, with the lab side of things and the QC and that it's kind of a little, a little bit of everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I was like, yeah. So at that point, like it was, I think September, we started the visa process and unfortunately like it was the first time they had done it. And so we kept missing deadline after deadline. We'd miss it by a day and then you couldn't apply until the next month. And so it wasn't until, so that's September. Like I quit, I left my job even a little bit earlier because I thought like, Oh, maybe I can go sooner. And then it took five months to get the visa through. Whoa. So I was sitting in Switzerland, like twiddling my thumbs, thinking like, okay, maybe it's going to be tomorrow. Like I had all my shit packed up. I was just kind of waiting to go. And finally, like in December, um, they're like, okay, you can start in February. Everything went through February. I was like, all right, I got two months. I got seven grand in a bank account in the U.S. And that's when I did my big beer trip. And to try and kind of learn a lot of stuff from other breweries. and. Um, went home to Colorado and spent time like at Avery in their quality lab and a bunch of other places just trying to like soak up as much stuff as I could. Mm-hmm. And then I met Paul in California. We traveled around for two weeks doing Rape Your Best and some tap takeovers and collabs, which was amazing. So after deciding to take the plunge and go with the Cloudwater move, Katie met up with Paul in a pretty cool place of San Francisco at the Rape Beer Awards. Um, this was a really big year for Cloudwater. I remember them picking up quite a lot of awards at this one. And Katie suddenly found herself sat at a table with some of the best breweries in the world. So we catch up with Katie from that moment. You are listening to Track Brewing Co. Presents the first time. And this is our interview with Katie Peake. Yeah, that must have, that must have been super, like, super excited because you know, this little brewery in switzerland meeting up in san francisco like and then yeah. you know with all these incredible breweries yeah and and um i was at my the kitchen table at my grandparents house in minnesota and was having a call with with um paul and he was talking about um indie man 
And like when the dates were, I was like, oh, well, maybe, you know, I can fly, like I get back on the state, like I'll, I'll fly into the festival, whatever. And so that was like my first time meeting the team, I poured beer at the bar. I think it was my first time meeting Soren from Drawing Bitter. <laughs> and it was just like, I was super excited. Like I was like, I'm, I'm going to be working for Cloudflare. And uh, yeah, but then Rapier, Rapier Best was a whole other thing. Like it was like. And is that the year that they got, was that number four? They, they wouldn't like number yeah, four. I, I, was, I was there to take all the pictures. <laughs> oh, that so, you know, we, sat, we sat at a table with uh, JC from Trillium and oh, Sam from Other Half, and like, and I'm like, oh my god, like, I want to learn so much from these people. Yeah, and it was it was really cool. That must have been really validating for that. Like, you know, what was a a huge step down to then being at this really exciting. And obviously, your life's totally changed. You said you've 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 moved on. Like, you've got a divorce. You've your personal life's totally changed and then you're just in this new hub, new community um, yeah. with all these new people and all these exciting ideas being thrown around. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it was, so, uh, yeah, totally not anticipated. None yeah. of this. <laughs> Once I left Minnesota, like all of this has been a complete, never, never anticipated any of this. So, oh, it's and so I, wouldn't cool. change, I wouldn't change anything either, but. Well, I remember meeting you, Katie. I think the first time I met you uh, was in, Cloudwater's old barrel store just down from our brewery um, okay. and I think that must have been you can't have been there long and you said something about going to see Father John Misty so that, must have been, <laughs> that, that must have been that must have been like super early days um, uh-huh. but yeah so so you start with Cloudwater and this is a kind of similar conversation to what I had with Hannah which was that Cloudwater were you know moving at a really rapid pace and uh-huh. building up notoriety and the whole British beer scene was moving really fast so what was it like to kind of get on board with those guys at that time it was it was actually kind of a surprise because <laughs> i had like like what what we had talked about at the beginning for what i would be doing there and then when i arrived and like met the team and i got introduced and paul said this is our new quality manager and i was like what <laughs> which i guess you know it incorporates all the things that i was going to do but I ended up I ended up not brewing there, yeah, um, and ended up being kind of like on the management team with James, the head brewer, former head brewer, Sparkles, um, who's still there, um, and then Hannah Mark, eventually Mark moved by, uh, oh, Mark, by his, yeah, Mark, <laughs> so he doesn't get Sparkles. too bad with us, yeah, yeah. Um, I can't call him Mark; it's weird. Yeah, Spar- um, Sparkles is way better. <laughs> so, like, ended up being on the management team with them, and so that was at the point where there was no core range. Every recipe was new, um, so every label was new. All the information about the labels were new, and so uh, James and I worked pretty closely on recipe stuff. And my kind of, I guess, where I got stuck in or stuck myself into um, doing a lot of comparisons and research on like previous brews, what worked, like what do you remember? So, like in the in the office upstairs at the brewery, they had all of the um, you know every bottle and then can of everything that I'd ever made. And so like I'd ask people, I was like, okay, from these, like what was what was the standout, what was not, and would compare like dipper recipes, paleo recipes, whatever, mm-hmm. and then suggestions for moving in dextrin malt or uh, whirlpool temperature at such and such or this many grams per liter or whatever. And so we'd have like different recipe iterations to show like, okay, this is the previous one, this is how we're changing it now. And so... James and I would work on that kind of stuff, and then I would, I kind of took over the label um, stuff and worked with Chris at Textbook pretty closely. So getting the, the ingredients and the description from Paul and all that sort of stuff to make sure we had labels in hand on time, not screw up any sort of production timeline. So that's kind of where most of my um, focus was, and then overseeing the seller scheduling BDKs, tastings, um, you know, having Robin in the cellar. She did most of the most of the work, so harvesting yeast and, and sample stuff, but we kind of go through the schedule with her every day and then Yeah. So you you were getting your hands dirty. Yeah, no, it was it was good. And then like, you know, jumping on the canning line to give people breaks for lunch and mm-hmm. kind of jumping in wherever. And this is I think how I got the nickname Brewery Mom from <laughs> Hannah. Which um yeah. So that's everybody called me mom because I yeah. kind of looked after everybody and, and cleaned up after everybody and made sure they got cab rides home and yeah. you know 
And and how was that like? Because that was that's a lot. Like that's uh, to kind of go in one into a job role that you didn't actually know was defined as what it was, and then uh-huh. two, just like there's a whole plethora of different things going on in in one role. Like to speaking to like about labels and then doing like seller management is uh-huh. they're just opposite ends of the spectrum. Of, so does did you feel a lot of pressure or did you feel a little bit like you didn't have the focus on one thing that you wanted did you feel like you were spread too thin or did it feel like cool because you i guess you were still pretty young in your career so like you're getting a feel for all these yeah i only had like a couple couple years under my belt so like there's never a shortage of work in a brewery like you know that there's always something that can be done and so um it's just you know, if you're I, willing to do it. Like, jump into other stuff, yeah. And then, like, Paul and I developed, like, you know, like a hygiene plan and, a, you know, standards for for how we should be working in the brewery and, you know, clean up as you go along and, and these new, like, little PAA stations where everything would be, all the, the tank jewelry would be hung up and you grab a bucket and you grab what you need and you grab PAA and then this is how you work through the cellar. And so developing these kinds of things, it was kind of basically like, okay, this needs to be done, I'll do that. Or if somebody needs help here, I'll go do that. Mm-hmm. So it was always kind of like, um, not necessarily like, Katie, you go do this, but like, oh, I could probably, you know, tweak up this recipe or, or look at this or whatever and just get stuck in. And that, that, that group of people, like it's such a team family environment mm-hmm. that it's, it's kind of easy to do that. There are a lot of like blurred lines with roles and stuff. And so we just, Basically, we just needed to get shit done. Yeah, and again, because it, it was it yeah, it was moving so rapidly, like that mm-hmm. that things exactly what you said. There is always something to be done, and there's never mm-hmm. enough time in the day to do it. So, yeah. if if you're willing to put those hats on, then then you yeah. can get and get involved. And I think that's one of the main things that I'll you know would advise anyone wanting to get into the brewery world is just throw yourself into it and. Don't expect mm-hmm. to necessarily do the job that you might have first got into it for. Oh, you're gonna you're gonna learn something either way. Yeah, yeah. Hannah said so she, she she applied for a bookkeeping role. That was what she originally applied for. And then, yeah, and then went, really and, and went on to be the you know the sales manager and managing various people at the tap room and all kinds of stuff. So that was mm-hmm. really exciting, and I guess like again the the beer world was really exciting about that. Mm-hmm. Are there any real like big moments that you kind of take away from that? Um, to where you are now? I think all of it together, like, you know, the local festivals, like Indie Man, Hop City, like the first Hop yeah. City, um, I was on the bar pouring next to Stigberry Guts and Ale Farm. And then like, you know, on the DJ deck with Soren later and, you know, like, um, you know, not doing anything, just posing with the headphones. <laughs> but um, like, I met so many cool people. Yeah. Like the UK, the UK beer scene is amazing. Really there's is. a lot of there's a lot of babes in that industry and that's where i made all those connections which mm-hmm. i still have so that and then like that was the first year um we poured at mckeller and paul asked me to pour with him and i was so honored because uh you were, you were there the... I was brand new. Yeah. yeah so I, I kind of felt like oh god really like but um that was a really cool experience as well um like just like and that's when things are you know, very new and hot. And mm-hmm. so like we sold out so fast and it was like, like the weeks leading up to that, like producing the beers were so like Mark and I were just so like, that's to be perfect. Like, and like, I think we packed the, Hannah had packed the pallet with ice packs to keep the keg cold on the way. Yeah. Yeah. This is exactly what I was speaking to uh, Hannah about just that, like feeling like the pre festival, especially when, you know, if it's your first one, you're pouring at it or, especially mm-hmm. MBCC and you're just like it has to be perfect like you put your heart yeah. into those beers and also exactly. like, that journey for you of going in there with your empty glass like I need to talk to loads of brewers and make some connections exactly. so so to see like the first year meeting Van and Ben from Gigantic mm-hmm. and and then seeing them the next year at the new the new MBCC site and then the next year being like hey I'm pouring beer <laughs> like what the fuck I did it <laughs> and now and now every every year it's like every year I see like are you going to be at MBCC like where are we going to run into each other next time so it's it's like a reunion every yeah. year but this is kind of another area that I wanted to highlight is that just the international nature of what beer has become because you've gone from Minnesota 
to Colorado. You've done 90 stops around America. You've then moved to Switzerland, moved around Switzerland, landed in Manchester, met all these different people, gone to Copenhagen. Um, but funnily enough, through all those places, it, it's quite a small world, the beer world. You, you really... Oh, my God. Like yeah. now, you, you bump into people all the time or you can go into a bar and, and bump into someone you might know uh, yeah. way across the world. Um, so let's get to the end of the cloud water thing and what took you, because now you are currently at White Frontier in Switzerland. Yeah. So yeah. when did you kind of feel that the role at Cloudwater was maybe, I don't want to say it wasn't what you wanted, it was just, it was just time for the next step. Yeah, well, I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't brewing. Mm -hmm. uh, I was, I was being a brewing mom, yeah. and that wasn't as much as I loved that role, and it was fulfilling. Like I wasn't learning anything, and it wasn't anything that was going to like really carry me forward. Yeah. So, um, again, left there without any plan of what was going to be next. And actually, I had a couple of Swiss friends. Um, a beer blogger and um, a friend who owns a brewery here who are coming to visit the next weekend and I was like yeah so I'm looking for a job and they were like what <laughs> and they were like actually you know what um, White Frontier is hiring right now they're looking for somebody for the seller and I was like oh no way so this is like the day after like I messaged Chris um, who's the head brewer at White Frontier and he was like hey um, looking for a job uh Here's my CV. Like I'm, I'm coming back to Switzerland. I put my my residence permit on hold while while I'd been away, just in case. And um, so I had it. Sent him an email. Had an interview the next day. Had an offer the next day. Amazing. Subsequ subsequently, had an offer from the friend who had a brewery as well. He's like, "Oh, well, you're looking for job. Well, let me let me see what I can pull up." And so I had two offers. And like 10 hours to make a decision. And I was in, I was actually down in London visiting Colonel, um, visiting Toby when he used to be there. And so I was like, I gotta, like, I wanted to be on the floor, like hanging out, drinking beers, whatever. And I'm like, is it okay if I just go upstairs for a while? Like, I need to look through my, my pros and cons sheet and like, <laughs> what am I gonna do here? Because I, I had to give him a decision because I had yeah. somebody else that they were gonna offer the job to, and he had another job opportunity so basically like if he missed this then he should be able to take the other one and so we were on like a very very strict deadline and so I like was sitting upstairs with probably a pint of table beer um like wondering what the heck to do and um like one of the mottos at the brewery is screw it let's do it and so called up the owner I was like screw it let's do it I'm like I'm in and and that was it so then I moved back Back to Switzerland, um, the French-speaking part now, and got stuck in 200 miles an hour with Chris running production. Because you guys are like nestled. Is it is it the Alps that you kind of just nestled under? It's like this super beautiful, like incredible yeah. location. Yeah, it's not too bad. It's not too bad. No, like we're, <laughs> your we're, view we're is probably the, better than mine. I do have a pretty good view. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so we're in the southwest corner of Switzerland. So like a half hour to Chamonix in France, half hour to Aosta in Italy. So like wow. Verbier is the big ski resort that's closest. Um, but, and this is, this is wine country here. So you were so trying to do something uh, totally, totally. So yes, yeah, let's dive into the White Frontier thing. So Chris was the head brewer and you came yep. on as, was it again, quality control or were you coming on as a kind of like... Well, like Brewer so as well. I'm basically, number number two in production. So yep. he's head brewer. I'm head of seller and quality. Yeah. And um, this brewery is unique in that. Um, so labor in Switzerland is expensive. So it kind of makes sense to invest a bit more in automated kits. And our brewery is actually within a winery mm -hmm. that kind of specializes in packaging. And so the unique relationship that we have is that we rent the space in the winery. We own all the brewing equipment. But the winery produces, or they provide the bottling line, and up until recently, the staff to run it as well. Mm -hmm. So for the first, you know, couple of years, year and a half, that Chris was there. I think he was producing like fifteen hundred heck by himself, basically. 
with an intern. Because it was and, so beautiful. Like I mean, for those that don't know, like a Browcon kit that you guys work on is uh, the creme de la creme of, uh, of engineering and brewery systems yeah. for, for many. So and, it'll, and be hard, it'll, it'll, it'll be hard to go to anything else. No. <laughs> but but going, you can going from a like, heck, like one vessel dairy thing, which was what they make with cheese, like around the corner here, to yeah, thirty heck automatic, semi-automatic rep on. Beautiful, thing. Yeah. beautiful. And um, VIP hookup hoses, like like it's a dream. But that's, yeah. that's what you need. You're only going to have one person producing that much beer. Exactly. And it makes a lot of sense. You do realize the, the amount of labor that goes into, I mean, our kit, for instance, is like so labor yeah. intensive. I mean, it's, it's a, not probably that dissimilar. It's a 10 heck kind of like almost just a big homebrew mm-hmm. kit. Um, and yeah. Guys work really hard on. But yeah, that, that kind of evolution of, of your process leading you to this place so it's just you and Chris basically heading up that project. And did you feel that you had a lot more creative freedom to start coming to the front here? Because like you said, you'd not done that much brewing at Cloudwater. So I guess your recipe development and stuff, you'd worked with James quite closely, but not yeah. actually um, put that through the system. So was this, was Chris looking for someone as well that they could he could bounce ideas off? Yeah, I think that's like how our relationship started was really like, you know, tweaking recipes, dry hopping at this temp versus that temp. Like, mm-hmm. we have a core range series of beers, so we're playing around with that a little bit. Um, we switched these strains, so, you know, sitting down, tasting beers, looking at old brew sheets. Um, so kind of what my, or what I've made my role into is looking at, from brew to brew, the ingredients that are being used, the temperatures that we're hitting, the pHs, um, and then from the fermentation, how many days during the ferment, what temp did we dry hop at? How many days until it passed BDK and post dry hop BDK? How many days crashing, centrifuge to packaging, carbonation levels, cell counts, like all of this kind of stuff, recording all of that data in Excel, and then sitting down with the beers and tasting them side by side. And like, okay, do we notice a difference with this? Is it... Um, you know, the cold stored versus the office beer versus the one up in the boiler room, like, you know, just kind of comparing all these things, comparing and contrasting and looking at what might be responsible for those flavor differences. Mm-hmm. Like, that's the stuff that I like to look at. Yeah. So that's kind of, I, I, I wouldn't call it creative. Like, it's more just looking at, you know. It's geeking out. Data. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Looking at data and. Yeah what can we do with that and for me like making beer that tastes the same all the time like that's the goal yeah that i mean see this is this is another beautiful part and i think you highlighted it earlier when we were talking about like where you can go and how how personalities dictate the beer that comes out at the end of it so you've got chef types who are just constantly changing and dan at st mars again was just saying he never likes to brew the same thing twice like so they've been yeah. doing a beer their whole career but it's never been brewed the same twice yeah um yeah. and then there's people like yourself who really like to dig into those details and go like the beauty is in the consistency and mm-hmm. and managing to achieve these because there are so many different variables that can give you different out um so many so, so many. many so like brewing yeah. that you know and Evan, uh, Evan Price from Green Cheek, he was just saying about like lager production and saying that like he's been doing it 10 years and he feels nowhere near close to where he wants to be getting mm-hmm. with it. And, and, and the consistency is nowhere near where he wants to get with it. So yeah, you can lose decades to this thing. And, and you know, this is why German lager is such an incredible thing because it has been brewed for yeah. 100 years and they've nailed down those processes. But also when we were just talking there, it, you've gone from brewery mum two people in an automated brewery like yeah did that feel yeah did that feel like a breath just you could sit and just take a breath and just go i can really kind of take care of what i'm doing or did you feel really lonely (laughs) no it was no it was it was um like you know we were filling kegs by hand we were it were it was long days and planning stuff out and us like just knocking stuff out but it was it's the kind of like gratifying work. Like I love, I love filling kegs. I love filling the keg and spraying it off and spraying it with alcohol, putting a cap on and putting the label on and making sure it's straight. And then making sure the kegs are like, I'm a little bit ADD like that. Like I like things to look nice because I mean, I have like 
So, you know, you go through the whole process, the whole month with this beer. It's the most precious at packaging. If you don't pay attention at packaging, what the fuck are you doing? Like, that's when the beer is the most expensive. You put in the most labor. It's spent the most time in your brewery. Um, and if at that point you're not paying attention to the details, and that's your first interaction with a customer, like, uh, you got to do it right. Yeah, totally. I'm, I'm totally with so you. And like, I'm also, I also wish you lived around the corner so you could come and label our kegs and fill them as well. But it's, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so just getting stuck into that, like, I wasn't, um, you know, you see, you see the what you've done at the end of the day. You see 120 kegs yeah. stacked up. You see um, full tanks of work fermenting away. Like, like you're, when you're only two people, you see, you see all the work you do on a daily basis. But then yeah. you also see all the other stuff you don't have time to get to. But. I think I was trying to paint it as some like dream, like living in the Swiss mountains, just like, oh, this is so relaxing. I, I didn't really make any time to enjoy the Swiss mountains at that point, but... You were, just, you were just hard grinding away straight into it. Yeah, it was, also, it was a new kit, and Chris really wanted to go on holiday. And so, like, I had basically three months, three months to learn how to run that kit, run the brewery. And then he's like, I gotta, I'm got i going to Boston, like, meeting up with the land and labor guys, those old guys from Galway Bay. And um, no, he left no, on holiday. No I did my first. I did my first solo brew, and he left the next day. And I had to like brew CIP, set up for packaging, whatever. And of course, of course, everything went wrong. Like, like breakers going out on the kit and like the next day, like having to call him on his holiday and be like, the, the whirlpool, whirlpool safety thing is tripped. He's like, okay, this is the only thing you're going to have to learn how to do. Get the screwdriver, open up the safety cabinet, turn it three times and then turn it back on. It should be fine. Okay, fix that. Well, then that same thing went out on the CIP system, and then, like, one thing after another, but, like, I didn't bring anything down, didn't disrupt production too much, but, like, survived, he came back, he had a holiday, like... You were just burnt out, just, like, crying in the car. Pretty much, pretty much, yeah. So after Katie's whirlwind trip around the world with beer, a literal whirlwind trip at one point where she stopped at 90 breweries in two months... We ask her where does she think beer is going to move to in the future and what things would she like to see. It's of course that time in the episode where we ask, where do we go from beer? The next series, we are going to come up with better puns, I promise, I promise. You are listening to Track Brewingco Presents the First Time and this is our interview with Katie Peach. I mean, I, I always hope that quality will come more to the forefront. Um, people caring about storage conditions and, um, I don't know, haze and particulate matter in the beers, carbonation levels, hygiene is always a big thing. There's always improvement for quality, so I hope that always, like, stuff always is on the up and up there. Um, yeah, the, the things that I get excited about and look at, maybe that's not going to make a big difference, brew to brew. Mm-hmm. We don't know. Like, yeah. there's like, like we said, there's so many variables. Um, I just hope people keep making nice things, <laughs> and that <laughs> people are, yeah. And and for me, like the, it's having something in my hand at the end of the day that I can hand to you and be really excited about it, and I want to see your reaction, yeah. and I want you to have a good with that and I think if um, as long as you've got people who are passionate about the production and the products and the interactions and the community that's around this and the exchanges and like this is hard now with COVID I mean I'm really struggling with is like I have no exchange with people mm-hmm. and um, so as long as there's, there's something to talk around that beverage I hope that's where the the community and the industry continues to go as hard as it is in this situation, this current climate, um, that we can still continue to, to do that. Cause that's for me, that's, that's kind of the goal. That's the whole. It's the end of the journey, right. isn't that's it? Right. Like the end, you, yeah. you know, you looking at all those spreadsheets and going through all those details. Um, it matters a lot, but the, you're doing that so that at the end of it, people can try a little sip smile 
and talk to the, the people that surround them. Or we can be at beer yeah. festivals next to each other. We can try it to as beer. We can oh, talk I hope we can sometime. Yeah, I know. I know it really sucks. Yeah. I mean, the, the community side, we spoke a little because, again, where, where you are, it's beautiful, but I guess it's a little bit isolated as well in, uh, in that respect. So when you, don't, when you don't speak the language either, it's, it's tough. Oh, so, so do you speak German but not French? Is that the I speak German but not French. Oh. Um, and I haven't really done a very good job at learning mm-hmm. French. It's very hard after learning German. Um, yeah. That's no excuse. I just haven't put the time in. So if I was like an hour east, I'd have no problem. Yeah. But Switzerland, Switzerland is so small and there's there's five national languages here. That's so, so thing. Um but Kay, that's, yeah, it's been amazing speaking to you about all this and it's been really cool to learn more about, like we said at the start, like we never had the chance to just spend an hour just chatting to each other and really diving into Without these things. Without being interrupted with people. Yeah, to, which is great as well, but, but it's so <laughs> nice to speak to you. So as I know, you've listened to a few other episodes. I don't know if you know the last, uh, the last question, which is the beer of your choice at the end of the world. Any beer oh, yeah. that's been produced, or maybe you would like to produce? Oh, I don't know. That's really tough. Can I just have a little fridge instead? <laughs> There's no mini bar. Oh, no, no, no. There's no mini bar. Okay. At the apocalypse I bar. Think... Um, so, yeah, what, what would that beer be for you? It, so, we did a collab with so Toby, who used to be at the Colonel, who's now at Dea. He actually brewed up in Verbier, which is a half hour from here. Like, we both started in Switzerland. We both yeah. left, I left Colorado, he left Colonel, and we both went to Switzerland at the same time. And so we did a collab, you know, with his ex-Colonel Ruth. Um, we did a small porter with him, like four and a half percent. And we put the kegs on nitro. Oh, and so this was good. like, this beer's like a year and a half now. And we have a nitro tap in the tap room. And we're just getting to the end of the keg. But to have a half pint of that, like in the summer, in the heat, and like I will never tire of watching Nitro Cascade. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So I think it would be that, or it would be, yeah, man, Pilsner. You know, (laughs) just give me a lager. Just give me a picture. Is that is that what you right back to those early days of your drinking? Not a picture of that stuff, but. No, 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 just, just a glass, otherwise it gets too warm if I'm just drinking it by myself. And No, something, something easy, something you don't have to think about, but something that's just perfect, flawless. Yeah, yeah. I'm something with I don't have to, Something I don't have to, you know, I don't know if it's like this for you, but when I go out and drink beer, it's work. Like, yeah. it turns into a sensory thing, like, what's wrong or where, like, what am I tasting? And with, with properly made... Yeah, it, like can be, like, it definitely becomes a little bit a little bit frustrating at times where you're just like, especially for Chloe, my wife, sometimes when we'd go out and I'd just be like, just like looking at the glass and trying it and thinking about it. And it's just like, need to remember. This is why just, I drink a lot of wine. Yeah, <laughs> just have fun. Oh yeah, I'll drink, I'll drink a beer that you don't know anything about. Um, yeah. I was just going to ask you, I totally forgot to ask before that question, with all this and all the spreadsheets that you got, is there some beers that you just can't get your head around because they don't follow the parameters of how you see beer should be produced? Or is that something that you're open to? Because you mentioned like the garden things. Oh, I'm, I'm totally open to the, the you know, go by your gut, the yeah. kind of like artsy, whatever. But you have to have some experience to, to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And for me, being like have not having had that experience, um, producing any any barrel aged beer, any barrel fermented beer, the whole process would be lab notebook, strict lab notebook until I got the hang of it. It's just like my kombucha lab notebook. Like the first the first batches that I made, okay, what was the temperature of the water? The amount of the um, that I soured it back with with other kombucha. How much sugar? How much time? What temp? Like thermometer in my kitchen what's the temperature and and now it's to the point where it's like okay it's like a little bit of this and a little bit of that and it'll be fine in three weeks so i think you know <laughs> once you have things under your belt and you have a feeling for it then it's but when when i come into something as a novice i am an i'm a like note taker i have notebooks everywhere it's notes and details and was it raining was i standing on my right foot or my left foot when i did it like 
with all the details and that that totally comes from my science background so, yeah you're making me realize why I, I think i never got into the like became a brewer because i'm way too sky like a recipe book in front of me i'm just like it's got salt in uh, i'm gonna change it up and just do something yeah. totally different I'm, I'm, I'm the opposite i just can never follow anything no, which is probably my a dad good, calls, my dad calls me compliant katie so it's, <laughs> it's everything by the by the book by the book yeah. okay Thanks so much for doing this. It's so lovely to see you. And we haven't had a chance oh, to have a beer for so long. Um, yeah. And hopefully, all fingers crossed that that will change soon. And we'll see you. And I'm excited to see where your journey carries on moving. Um, but yeah, thanks again, Katie. Much yeah, love to you. you. And send love to Chris as well over there. I hope you yep. guys are okay. I'll let, I'll let Tommy know as well. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And if you could just text me uh, Tommy's number, that would be great. <laughs> And that's it episode nine in the bag thank you so so much to dr katie peach for being a part of the first time and i really really loved her journey through this it's a totally different path i guess than anyone else really i know martha uh, um saint Mars of the desert has a very similar past as well but we didn't really dig into that in that episode on this one we could really center it and see how katie yeah left academia behind to pursue this thing we call beer and it's led her to some amazing places and i'm sure it will lead her to more amazing places again thank you so much for listening guys we really appreciate it we have one more episode in this series before we move to series two with loads more exciting content hopefully (laughs) we're still learning this way but uh we'll get there eventually Um, But yeah, thank you so much for your support. If you could be so kind as to drop us a review, that always helps. Um, And yeah, we'll see you next week. A big shout out to Tom Coucher again for putting these episodes together. Much love to you, Tom. Thanks, dude. And yeah, we will see you next week. As ever, stay thirsty.